You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, I want to keep two things in your mind as we consider the story of King David tonight. Uh, the first is the uh, anatomy of sin. Now, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's important for us to see it. Remember when you were in high school biology class and you had to do that thing of cutting open a worm so you see the parts on the inside? Well, James does that for us. In James chapter 1, it's like he slices open sin so that we can see what the insides look like. It goes like this. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So that every sin starts with desire, with a, with a desire for something that the Lord has not given. If you want to think of it like this, if you have a, just think of the Ten Commandments on a pole, and let's put the, the first commandment at the top, you shall have no other gods, you shall not misuse the Lord's name, you shall remember the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, number five, you shall not commit adultery, number six, you shall not steal, number seven, you shall not bear false witness, eight, you shall not covet number 9 and 10, so that this is where it starts, 9 and 10. Every, every sin starts here, and it starts winding its way up and down this path until at last it breaks the first commandment. So you start with the 10th, the 9th, and the 10th of covetousness, and you end with the first, but you wind your way through all of the other sins, and that's how it is with King David. Remember how it was? He was there, King David, a man after the Lord's own heart, anointed as king and yet still did not usurp the place. He was in every way showing himself to be an excellent one, both in his faith and his confession. He was a prophet of God. He wrote most of the Psalms. He was ruling the people. And yet, this particular spring that we're going to hear about, instead of being out with Joab and his men fighting, he was at home. And one afternoon, he was up on his on his rooftop, looking around, and there he looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing on her own roof. She was beautiful, and so desire was born there. So he called Bathsheba to himself and acted as if she was his wife and he was her husband, breaking the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Well, then Bathsheba sends King David a note and says, I'm pregnant. So now he's going to cover up his sin, Eighth Commandment, by calling back Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. Now think about that for a little bit. Uriah the Hittite calling him back from war to give a report, hoping that he would come and give a report of the war and then go home and visit Bathsheba, and that in that visit, David's own sin would be covered up. But Uriah was too faithful, and we see this in a number of ways. So first of all, think about this. Uriah was a Hittite. He wasn't an Israelite. The Hittites were the, were the enemies of God's people. So that, so that Uriah was not born a, a child of Abraham. He was born a foreigner. And yet he confessed the Lord God. And so that he's listed, in fact, in, I think it's 2 Samuel 23 or 2 Samuel 6, he's listed on the list of David's mighty men. So that this man, Uriah, was a, was a convert, an adult convert, to the true faith, which is quite serious because, I mean, now we have converts and they come in and they're baptized, God be praised. Back then, if you're an adult convert and you're a man, it's adult circumcision for you. I mean, this is not something you take or do lightly. 
So Uriah was a Hittite, converted to become a Christian, and he was faithful to King David. We see this in that he calls him back for the, from the war. He, uh, Uriah gives a report, and then David sends him home, but he refuses to go home. He sleeps on the floor outside of the door with the servants of King David. David hears about it the next day. They said, Uriah slept with the servants. He didn't go home. And David says, why don't you go your home? Why don't you go home to visit your wife? And Uriah says, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent. Joab, my general, is in a tent. My men are sleeping in tents. Far be it from me to go home and take and rest and take it easy and visit my wife when these guys are all still suffering and working and warring, putting David to shame, really. So that he says, okay, don't go back today, go back tomorrow. And David invites Uriah to his house and gets him drunk in the hope that he'll wander, stagger drunk back home, forget his own faithfulness, stagger back home and cover up David's sin. But still he doesn't. He sleeps with a servant. So that David, so that's eighth commandment, tried to cover up his sin, but that doesn't work. So then David sends Uriah back to the battle with a secret message to Joab, the general, that says, put Uriah in the fiercest part of the battle and then pull back so that Uriah will die. So that David commits, breaks the fifth commandment. You see how tenth commandment, sixth commandment, eighth commandment, fifth commandment now? So that David's committing murder, cold-blooded murder. He's plotting to kill a faithful man who's done nothing wrong in order to cover up his own sin. So what happens? So Uriah is sent back. He does, he's faithful. He doesn't look at the message. He doesn't read it. He's a faithful soldier. He delivers the unread message, his own death warrant, delivers him to Joab, the, the general, who then opens it and says, well, okay. So he does it. He puts Uriah at the fiercest part of the fight, and they come, and they, when they're fighting, they press in right up to the edge of the city, right up to the wall, to ensure that not only would Uriah die, but that three or four at least other soldiers die as well. So the report comes back to King David, and Joab, who's a politically savvy guy, gives the report to David, and he says, David's going to be mad because a handful, one of his mighty men died, a couple of other men died, and one of the soldiers died because one of the old ladies threw a millstone on his head from the top of the wall. And David's going to say, what were you doing fighting so close to the wall? Are you fools? And then when David says that, let him know that Uriah the Hittite also died. So the servant comes and delivers the message. And just to, so to imagine this, here's King David, who is now rejoicing over the murder, over the death of one of his most faithful, bravest, valiant soldiers. Rejoicing over that. So David gets the message and he sends the message back to Joab. Finish the fight, and they do, and they take the city. And as soon as Bathsheba is finished with her mourning for the death of her husband, then David marries her, and now the child is born in the house of David, and he thinks it's all okay. Now think about this. David, it's at least, at least nine months, probably closer to a year, that David has committed all of these sins against Bathsheba, against Uriah, against Joab, against the people, against, against God. And he thinks he's gotten away with it. So we see the anatomy of the, of the sin. And the second thing I want us to think about, too, is that uh, we, we often think that the, the danger is in the temptation to sin. But we're going to learn something else with King David. That, that, da- that 
that the danger of sin comes at least in two phases. That the devil, when he assaults us with sin, he assaults in two waves. He first tempts us to sin, to break God's law. That's the first wave of the devil's attack. But then comes the second wave of the devil's attack, and that has to do with what now are you going to do with your sin? How are you going to think about your sin? How are you going to treat your sin? How are you going to consider your sin? The devil wants us to either boast about our sin, to not worry about our sin, to have a hard heart about our sin, or to cover our sin up, to bury it. And that's what King David does, and that's probably the danger for us, to bury the sin down so that nobody sees it. The last thing, the last thing that the devil wants us to do with our sin is to confess it and let the Lord Jesus give an answer to our sin. The last thing he wants. So here's David. And he thinks he's gotten away with it for a year. Our Lutheran fathers of the faith, by the way, this is kind of a, I mean, it's good for us to think about this, but our Lutheran fathers said that when David there in his hard heart committed adultery and murder and thought that he got away with it, that the Holy Spirit had departed him and that he had lost his faith. Now, it's hard for us to tell when someone loses their faith or not, but we know it's a possibility. And when we see this sort of, this this plotting sin and sin having dominion over him, this is what has happened. That his heart is so hardened that it's almost impossible for us to imagine saving faith dwelling there in his heart. But but the Lord has plans for David. And he's going to send Nathan the prophet to confront him with the law, to break his hardened heart. Remember, Jesus says, I'll send my Holy Spirit who will convict the world of sin, and that is what the Holy Spirit is going to do to King David. So it goes like this. 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. And Nathan came and said to him, There were two men in a certain city. The one was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, and he he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children, and it eat of the morsel and drink from the cup and, and lie in his arms, and it and it this little lamb was like a daughter to him. Now Nathan is telling David this story not as a parable, but as something that actually happened. In other words, Nathan is presenting this to King David for his judgment. Remember, the king in those days was also the judge, so that he would make a ruling about what to do. So that Nathan's telling him the story as if it happened. So there was a rich man who had lots of sheep. There was a poor man, his neighbor, who had one little sheep who was basically his pet sheep. And then this is what happened, verse 4. There came a traveler to the rich man, and this guy was unwilling... Sorry, it just says he. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David hears this, and listen to what happened. David's anger was greatly kindled against that man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan turns to David and says to him, you are the man. That's you, David. You're the one. The Lord has given you so much. You had all that you wanted. 
And instead of taking from your own flock, you went to your neighbor, Uriah the Hittite, and you stole the thing that was the most precious to him. You're the man, David. You're the one that's done this. You're the one that's offended heaven and earth. You're the one that sinned against the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Here the text continues. Nathan preaches to David. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives under your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So ends the hammer blow of the law, delivered from Nathan the prophet unto the hard heart and, and calloused conscience of King David. And you have to wonder, at least I do, how Nathan thought this would go. I mean, imagine that Lord is sending Nathan to David, and Nathan knows. Nathan knows what happened to the last guy that found out about it. He ended up with his head crushed from a millstone thrown from the wall. Nathan knows that it's just as likely that David will continue to cover up his own sin by putting the prophet himself to death. But still Nathan preaches. And God the Holy Spirit works through that preaching to crush the heart of King David. So that instead of covering up his sin, now he confesses. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now this is the thing that we also must say. That we too have sinned against the Lord. That we've broken the law of God. That we have not lived as we ought to have lived. That we have not kept the commandments that we have not loved the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, that we are guilty. As much as as we are tempted to claim innocence and cover up our sin and make a case for our own righteousness, when at last it comes down to it, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the law, has to convince us of this, that we too stand with King David and say, I have sinned against the Lord. We enter the court of the Lord and we claim not to be innocent, but rather to be guilty. And listen what the Lord says to David. And listen to what the Lord says to you. Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. 
the Lord has put away your sin. We think that if we just hide our sin, we'll be safe. But there's no safety in that. King David taught us, when I kept silent, my bones waxed old through their groaning all the day long. When we hide our own sin, when we cover our own sin up, when we go about making the case of our own innocence and righteousness, it eats us up. It delivers us over to a hardened heart. It removes the joy of our salvation. It expels the Holy Spirit. But when we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins. That's the Lord's answer to David's sin and to yours and to mine. The answer of the Lord's the answer of the Lord to our sin is not our condemnation, but rather the cross. The answer for our confession is not the Lord's anger, but rather his mercy. And when the Lord sees sins confessed, he forgives them. He wipes them out. He tosses them into the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. So we rejoice. And we rejoice with King David. We see how it is. If the Lord can, can restore David, the adulterous, lying murderer, he can certainly restore you. If the Lord can rescue and redeem and forgive David, he can certainly rescue and redeem and forgive you. He has in Christ. So may God the Holy Spirit continue his work. The work of the law which crushes us and the work of the gospel that forgives all our sins. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.